Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And so we're back this week with Let's Get Two, and we have a fun episode focusing on the Astros farm system. And yes, I know that Ken and Matt, your son Matt, has rolled his eyes because I've mentioned the word Houston Astros. I mean, we're not even 10 seconds into the episode. But we actually, we're, we're going to be talking to the folks from the Tri-City Valley Cats, the Quad City River Bandits, and the marketing director of the Round Rock Express. But we got to fulfill another one of those bucket list trips by heading up to Fayetteville to talk to the Woodpeckers and actually see what was going on at Segra Stadium. And with me on that trip is co-owner of the podcast and my partner in crime, Nathan Bybee. Nathan, how you doing? Doing great this morning. How are you? Are you doing great this morning? I am. Because I was a little dehydrated. Well, it was a hot day yesterday in Durham. And just yeah. to clarify, that would be Fayetteville, North Carolina. Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yeah, we uh, actually were, when we were in the air, we're, I think at one point, it's North Carolina, not Arkansas. <laughs> when are we landing in? So yeah, we, it's been, it's been a hot Week in, uh, week in North Carolina, but we've got to see some great baseball. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk, you know, so we did, the original trip was to see Durham. Um, and I think people get that that's a bucket list trip. And then uh, we were really excited that we could do Fayetteville too, because they've been on the show and been real big supporters of the show. So we did Fayetteville first, and they are playing in brand new Segra Stadium. Uh, what were your thoughts just on, because you've been to a lot of baseball parks, man. What were your thoughts on Segra Stadium? Uh, Segra Stadium is a beautiful facility, and uh, I thought Fayetteville was a very uh, pretty town. I think it fits very well. It looks like it's going to uh, be a great sort of revital. I don't know if it needs revitalizing, but a vitalizing yeah. force in the in their downtown area. And uh, it's it's a beautiful park, and they're building some really unique looking condos right next to the stadium that are still under construction. Pretty much on top of the stadium. Pretty much on top of the stadium yeah. to where it looks like you, there's at least some lucky folks will get a, a view of like a behind the home plate view in their living room. Yeah. It's amazing. It was. Um, and that was the thing too. Like, like you said, it was uh, having been to Amarillo the week before and seeing what the park, the park did to Amarillo it's interesting to see because hot because Segra Stadium as it stands, beautiful park, but you can see that they are really developing the area around it. Um, I thought one of the coolest thing was getting to see the train go yes. across the so the so the stadium itself is situated between two railroad tracks. So in the left field side, you've got uh, an Amtrak track with a full on Amtrak station, and and mm-hmm. it looks just as uh, you know sort of sort of picturesque and what you'd exactly expect of a small Southern town Amtrak station uh, that's probably been there for many, many years. Uh, the right, the sort of center to right field side of the stadium is a totally separate uh, train track. Uh, at We saw trains running on both tracks. We saw an Amtrak. Uh, the right field track was all military equipment coming yeah. in or out of Fort Bragg. And that, so it was, and it looks like it's just kind of floating over the top of yeah. the, the outfield wall. Uh, so both just kind of interesting visual oddities, yeah. unique, uniqueness about the park. That's the best thing about minor league baseball is it's always going to be capturing that community. Um, and yeah, I thought it was cool too, to look up and see just like, 
mostly heavy trucks on the tank on mm-hmm. the like I saw a couple Humvees, but um, mm-hmm. we were told they're uh, getting ready to do some training in California and removing equipment for that. So who knows? I don't know. Off to NTC, off the to National NTC. Training Center in Fort <laughs> Irwin, California. I know it well. Um, but yeah, no, the park was gorgeous. Um, I, I, a couple of things that I really liked were um, the outfield walls a little different, kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, kind of black and padded. and Yeah, it was, yeah, it was different than the typical sort of green yeah. outfield wall. And I thought uh, a lot of the really cool seating options for... Uh, you know, from you know, the berm thing, and you had like really cool, good sight lines everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the, with bringing up the black sort of outfield fence, uh, it was a, one of the interesting things about the park is it's got a very sort of modern, almost high tech kind of look and feel to it. Yet it's set amongst a town that has a very sort of classic colonial red brick yeah. look. And they have a lot of that too, but they've kind of mixed in a little bit more of the modern. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a sharp looking stadium. Yeah, it really was. Can't wait to get back. Um, the home plate bar was pretty cool. Is that what it's called, the home plate bar? I believe it was, actually. Home, yeah, we spent yes. quite a bit of time in there. Yes. With some Foothills beer, I believe. Yeah, good local local <laughs> beer choices. But, I've, you know, and of course, when you make a trip like this, you're not just going to the park. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the season when we started the show, I did my epic three teams in one day thing. And part of me was relatively unfulfilled after that. It was cool to say you did it, but I was in three towns that I could have spent the rest of the day looking around the town. And so we did get to check out one of the highlights of the Fayetteville Fort Bragg area, the Airborne and Special Operations Division uh, Museum. What were your, some of your what were your thoughts on that? Uh, that is a spectacular museum, and that in and of itself is worth the drive to Fayetteville. Uh, they have done an outstanding job, and the uh, I guess as you walk through the museum, it's kind of a timeline sort of history mm-hmm. of various special operations that the military has conducted over uh, its entire history, really. Um, it was solemn. It was striking. It was uh, exceedingly well put together. Um, uh, I think one of the most uh, impactful things was they have one of the rotors from one of the oh. helicopters that was shot down over for a Super Six One. I think the Black Hawk <clears throat> that was Super Six One Mogadishu. Yeah, over Mogadishu, um, which is an incident that you and I both remember. Yeah, uh, and uh, that and and it had. I guess the story is that the the rotor itself had actually been uh, stuck in the ground in Mogadishu for what twenty years. Twenty years it took to yeah, and and they were able to go in and recover it and have it returned to the U.S. So it's a uh, it's a striking piece of mm-hmm. visual uh, memory of that time and and yeah. It's a great centerpiece. Yeah, we were told when we met the, the the guys that told us about it the night before that it was the best military museum they'd ever been to, and I'd have to agree. And we've been to a lot, um, and we know sometimes we can walk into one and be done in forty five minutes, and been like, oh, "That was a cool thing." Uh, I really thought everything they put, like you were saying, everything they put together, the um, the displays were very interactive. So, like when you're walking through the the the, the Normandy thing, it's like you're walking through a town in France. Yep. Um, walking down the fuselage of the aircraft. I, yeah, I thought everything about it was cool. And we really could have spent many more hours 
Absolutely. Probably yeah. in that museum. We, I wanted to read a lot more yeah. of the signage. Um, but yeah, that's exactly, it's a great point. Uh, it's it, Rather than it being it being a museum you just look at, it, it is somewhat immersive in the sense that you do, they have set it up to where as you walk through and look at the exhibits, mm -hmm. you really do feel like you're kind of part of the time and place that they're talking about. Yeah. Um, but we had to get on, they had to get down the road. Yes. Because we were finally going to get to go see uh, the Durham Bulls. And, it, you know, it's first of all to, to as you know, we're, we're learning on this journey too. And there is a difference between a high A advanced ballpark. Seger Stadium was probably the best high A ballpark we've been to. Um, we will be doing our rankings. Everybody that knows me knows I'm obsessed with ranking things. <laughs> I don't know why I can't dislike them, but I do. I have to like decide to which degree I like them. Um, so it was the Durham Bulls Athletic Park, mm -hmm. DBAP. DBAP. Uh, how amazing was this ballpark? <laughs> I, I got to tell you, well, so I'm not sure I've ever been to Durham, or if I have, it was probably in the 1980s was the last time when I was a kid um, to see Duke University. But... First of all, the, the city is uh, great. It has a great feel to it. It feels a lot like Austin did to me when I was a student at the University of Texas. Yeah. So many, many years ago before Austin was uh, what it is today. Silicone plastic hills. <laughs> Be that as it may. <laughs> um, and, and I bring that up because I was also struck last night um, I watched a little bit of TV before I went to bed and the, the hotel channel had um, a guy talking about Durham. And at one point he said something about, you know, my hope for Durham in the future is that we keep it, we keep it a little dirty. We keep it a little fun. And, you know, and I thought, yeah, see that that's, first of all, that's a great attitude. Um, it makes for a fun city and I'm glad that they appreciate that. So that said, Already impressed by uh, the Durham area. Except and, for one thing, Durham. Except for one thing, Durham. Uh, why can't you get a steak at two in the afternoon? What's the matter, man? <laughs> What's the matter with this four o'clock steak business? Every steak. Uh, so, of course, being the Durham Bulls, famous from Bull Durham with the giant bull in the outfield with the, you know, hit bull win steak yeah. uh, bit. Um, had to have a, a steak in Durham. Turns out not going to happen this week, Fourth uh, of July week, Bef in the middle of on the middle of a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I was so disappointed. We tried Nana steak. Shout out to y'all. We hear you're great. And then we tried. Uh, I was Angus Barn. Angus Barn. Angus Barn was the sponsor of the. Was, was it one time the sponsor of the the winning of the steak? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we really tried. Uh, but we did, uh, to that end, we did, we did end up at a nice place, uh, Tobacco Roads yeah. uh, Sports Bar, which actually sits, uh, basically is part of the stadium. Yeah. And that, that was my next thing about just how integrated the park is to this like college area. Kind of campus feel to it. Very, anyway, very cool yeah, yeah. So, so, and that's the thing the the park is, it's a beautiful park situated in a really cool town. Mm -hmm. And when I say situated, it's almost more like embedded. I mean, it's, it's, it, is. it is surrounded up to literally up to the fence 
by buildings on all sides,、mm-hmm. which makes for a very urban feel, a very modern feel. Yet the stadium is made out of the sort of classic North Carolina red brick. Yeah.、Um, it, it, I mean, the the attention to detail, carrying the theme of the Durham Bulls, the logos, the colors, the the.、Um, Uh, references to the movie itself、yeah. uh, are so laden throughout. It, it's it's just so evident. A great deal of thought was put into it, executed beautifully.、Um, uh, an impressive stadium on par with some major league stadiums. I at, thought so at too. At least, <laughs> and, so. I, and I thought the offerings of.、Um, I mean, I think it's the only minor league stadium we've been to with a microbrew in the park. Literally, walk off an elevator, and there are giant beer tanks. Yeah, <laughs> right in front of you. Yeah, so they are brewing beer right on site, and that that's fun for me, especially. <laughs> yeah, for you especially.、Um, I thought food choices were good, and and one of the things that we don't see a lot of. In fact, the only time I think I've seen this was at University of Texas, of having food trucks on the premises.、Mm, yeah, and I got to think that that's got to be a direction many more will go because what a neat way to rotate your menu with probably I can't imagine a great cost output for. The people running the park, right, right, yeah.、Uh, so, yeah, special shout out to Barone's Meatballs, by the way. That place, oh man, spectacular. Yeah, and that was a food truck. That was a food truck,、um, and、uh, and it was funny because I guess they rolled those in right before game time because we had done a lot of pregame kind of scouting the field, taking some photos,、uh, doing some pre work for the show, and、uh, about the second or third inning, I looked up as it. Uh, yeah, where were the food trucks being there? <laughs> yeah, yeah.、Um, no, but I thought that was it's a great way to integrate. It. I, I liked, I loved everything about it. I loved how down on the concourse,、um, even like the signage for the different shops looked like those old school tobacco ads painted on the brick as opposed to just like a hanging sign. Right.、Um, you know, little things like it, in my it, in a mat it. It reminded me a little bit of Chattanooga's park, where it felt very old and rustic, but this was sort of old and rustic on purpose, as、mm-hmm. opposed to just being old and rustic.、Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I thought the gift shop、uh, really, really had to be the biggest minor league gift shop we've been it's, to. It's extensive,、yeah. and like you said, offering lots of different options for all of their different brandings. If you wanted just sort of bolder movie stuff.、Mm-hmm. You could get it to their tobacconist icon, which is was a really cool,、uh, really cool uh, throwback. Uh, yeah, yeah. Team iconography and and stuff like that.、Um, they had, you know, they they had merchandise from their,、um, I guess their. Promotional nights,、um, one of which you rarely see, which you rarely see.、Uh, a lot of times, that's kind of limited edition. You have to get it online only, that kind of stuff.、Um, but they did a wonderful promotion around being the the Durham Lollygaggers, Lollygaggers,、yeah. reference to Bull Durham, of course. They had their Star Wars jersey, which had, again you rarely see. He's exactly saw the star in the yeah Star Wars uh, uh, May May the May the fifth. <laughs> yeah, I think they played on yeah <laughs>、uh, promotion. And、um, yeah, it was, it was. They had a lot of stuff. What I liked about both parks,、um, and I and I can't, you know, I obviously we don't know this, but I got to imagine that when they were designing Seger Stadium, they spent some time in Durham. Was that big community box area for like if you had a certain type of pass or if you were a season ticket holder, we got up there because the media. But it was the big air conditioned space,、right. and it 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 looked like Segras felt very similar to. 
what they had at Durham, and yes. that was just the with recliners down in the front. I mean, it was yeah. that was just another great way to watch the game. Well, yeah, that that's a good point. Uh, even at Segra Stadium, the they do have a clubhouse. I don't know what the rules are for entry necessarily um, in in general, but um, very sort of yeah, nice high end kind of luxury. Um, not not just a suite, but like an open like an open bar area. The same thing in Durham. Uh, I was. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that in Durham, at least, and I don't know if this is the same in, in Segra or not, but uh, you didn't have to be a sweet holder to use it. I, I think right. there was some degree of cost, and but you, anybody in the public could round up enough people. I think they had a maybe a... I thought I said 10. 10 you get a party of 10 and it was like 50 bucks a person. Something like that. You could use it. Yeah. Um, I feel like and that we came saw, with some food and I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like I saw smaller groups than 10. So I, I again, it, all I know is there is a way for the public to go and, and enjoy that uh, experience as well. And, and I think to, to kind of wrap up about Durham, I thought the crowd experience, I thought it was packed. Oh. And they were into the game. Uh, I believe they said something on the order of 12,000 people last night. Yeah. Uh, apparently it's there. It's always their biggest night of the year. They do a huge fireworks show. Uh, after the end of the game, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was it was a, cra- a packed crowd. Well, I definitely uh, definitely want to come back. I uh, definitely had really really good time. Maybe maybe April though. Maybe yeah. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, July. Maybe but um, July. but yeah, I, I I would love to come back as well and spend a bit more time in both places. Um, it's it's a really nice area. Really nice area. All right, Nathan. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show, and we'll have you back on soon. All right. Thank you. And then we'll be back on Let's Get To. We are going to be speaking, like I said, with the Tri-City Valley Cats, the Quad Cities River Bandits, who are literally river bandits right now, and members of the Round Rock Express. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To promotion of the week. So for our promotions this week, we are... You know, we're in a very special season, and it isn't just that it's baseball season and that it's July, but there are a lot of people, including the Hallmark Channel and Minor League Baseball, already celebrating what is probably tied for my favorite season of the year, and that's Christmas. Um, and I'm a weird guy because uh, when it's when you know it's in the middle of the summer, I'm really excited about Christmas coming, and then sometime in December, I can't wait for baseball season to get here. I guess I'm just doomed to always be waiting for the next thing. But what's really really cool is that a lot of teams in minor league baseball take it to the 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 next level. They take it to like Santa's workshop level and how they celebrate Christmas in July. And I didn't know this was a thing until my lovely sister-in-law, Shelly, who's been on the show, stumbled into Christmas in July at Corpus Christi Hooks, got me this really cool hat, and I've worn it to most of the screenings of the Christmas movie we made with our film company. A Chance of Snow, Shameless Plug, will be available on Amazon in November. But uh, yeah, so I've just really been fascinated by all levels of Christmas in July. The Sugarland Skeeters will be doing Christmas in July on July 12th, and they'll be offering a Swatson Christmas bobblehead. And uh, my boys in Sugarland, you're gonna you're gonna hook hook me up, right? Because you know we're tight like that, and I'll be down for Jimmy Buffett night and for Star Wars night. But the cake doth get taken by the Inland Empire 66ers. 
So they are going to be playing the Modesto Nuts. So, of course, they are going to be playing as the Inland Empire Nutcrackers. This hat is amazing, and I can't really wait to grab it um, when it goes on sale on July 20th. Hopefully they'll have some online. If not, I'll have to play detective and go find one. But also, too, just in, in random bobblehead shout-out, we got a shout-out to the Peoria Chiefs that on uh, j- Thursday, July 11th, they are going to be having a Dwight Schrute bobblehead. But it isn't even just a Dwight Schrute bobblehead. It's Dwight Schrute dressed as Recyclops from the classic episode of The Office. You, you just got to do nothing but give props to the Peoria Chiefs and their team for diving really, really deep into Office lore to figure that out. So again, um, you know, our best bet is to follow at MILB Promos. They are they have their fingers on the pulse of all of the minor league promotions and giveaways and stuff. Follow them on Twitter, and uh, hopefully we'll get a member of their team on our show to kind of talk about why they care so much about what's going on in minor league baseball. We know why we do it. Uh, so yeah, definitely check that out and, and check out some Christmases in July. And if you go, take some photos and send them to us. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. All right, so we are here on Let's Get To, live from the Round Rock Express in the Dell Diamond with baseball fanatic, one of my best baseball buddies, Ivan Clausey. Ivan, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me out here on Princess Night at the ballpark. Yeah, I feel a little bit underdressed, though. Yeah. Uh, you didn't tell me that I was supposed to wear my gown. I really like yours, though. Well, uh, I went something off the shoulder. It is uh, off the shoulder. It's very I, nice. And I really like the ruby tiara. So it, I think it makes my eyes pop. It really does. It's lovely. Thank you. But um, if I'd have known, I'd have worn mine. You'd have, yeah, the matching pumps were, uh, were, <laughs> were, were gone. But yeah. So how long have you been? You've been into baseball. For a long time. Yes, when I was a little kid, uh, well, I, I come from a, a sports family, sports-oriented family. My brothers were all athletes, and uh, my uh, I don't actually remember this, but my uh, mom always told me that when I was a baby, they my brothers, they played on the same baseball team in the summer times. They would right. take me down to the dugout, and I'd be in the dugout as a little baby. As a baby. Um, yeah, as a baby. Yeah. I, that was in the dugout with the team. Yeah. So uh, I think it started there, okay. my love for baseball. Um, I started, I played all all the sports, you know, as a youngster, um, but just fell in love with baseball. And baseball. Yeah, I love playing and it. And you have two teams that you kind of have an affinity for. I do. I have, uh, of course, the Texas Rangers um, and uh, followed them ever since I lived in Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area sure. years and years ago. I spent about 10 years up there. Um, and uh, I, I kind of followed them up to that point. I'd been a baseball fan, of course, before that. And when I moved there, just started going to games and, and just started really loving the Rangers at that point. Yeah. You know, and then also, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals, because I was born in Missouri. Okay. Uh, grew up there. Um, my dad was a huge baseball fan and he loved the Cardinals. He would go, um, he would get out of the out of the house at night he'd go out into the driveway and sit in his car and smoke because he couldn't smoke in the house he'd smoke in the house yeah so he'd smoke his pipe out in the car and listen to the baseball game out the the bar. every game. once in a while I'd go out and I'd sit out there with him in the car and we'd, that's the best we'd listen, oh, and, and listening to the game on the radio was just always so good um, you know Joe Buck I mean not Joe Buck Jack Buck Jack Buck yeah yeah, yeah Jack Buck the, such a great uh, announcer yeah. for the Cardinals 
the Cardinals are one of those teams, aren't they? They they are like the Yankees and the yeah. Cubs, where their 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 following is is a nationwide deal. It really is. I mean, it's just one of those teams. You go to any ballpark, you know, the Cardinals go to any ballpark, and they're going to have a good yeah a good number of uh, fans following them in that particular ballpark. Yeah. yeah. So you, I mean, you you and I are pretty similar in the sense that you'll go to games a lot during the year. As much it, as yeah. we're about three hours away from our respective teams, right? But, yeah, as much as I can. I mean, you know, it's uh, you know, it's, it's what, what you know what I can do to get up there. It's 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 just a joy to go to the ballpark. You know, yeah. you know, and it's just like everybody else. The first time that you ever walked into the ballpark and saw the the green of the yeah. outfield, you know, coming up through the vom and and stepping out and seeing that, it just hooks you right there. You right. Know? And there's nothing like that feeling, and I still I still love that feeling. Every time I go there, you know, so it kind of doesn't matter where I go, you know. It's fun to watch a game with you, and we don't know what's happening because we have removed ourselves from the the field for a bit. Something good happened for the Round Rock Express. The Round Rock Express. Uh, But, you know, it's fun going to a game with you. Like, we had a really exciting one this past year where, uh, or this season where it was 11 to 10. Uh, and it was, I mean, every emotion that could have been lived. And that's what happens in baseball, right? It's all that drama. It was almost, it was almost harder to watch that win than it would have been had the, had the Rangers lost. Yeah. Because they, you know, jumped out to what? I don't 10 know, to 1. 10 to 1, one lead, yeah. something like that. And, and you were like, you were like, oh, well, that's, you know. Just resigned myself yeah. to beer. And yeah, I remember that. You were just like, all right, we're going to go. I'm gonna, you and Jessica just kind of walked around the ballpark yeah. for a while, whatever. And I was still on the edge of my seat because I know the Rangers. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, and exactly. They, and they have a habit of doing that. Although this year they've been pretty good about coming back. Sure. You know, if they, if they are behind on a close game, you haven't been able to count them out yet. But in that particular game, and it was still early enough that in the season that I was sure. pretty worried in that game. And, and, you know, it almost happened. It was 11 to 10. 11 in, to 10. In, in a weird game. Very anyway, weird, yeah. The weather got the, weird. Yeah, yeah. The wind was blowing really hard. And it was swirling. Swirling like they were having trouble. Yeah. I remember at one point they were having trouble finding the fly ball, the pop flies especially. Yeah, there was a pop-up that, that, that essentially was the game winner. And, I don't, and it didn't leave the infield. No. But everybody ran back like it was about to go. It was it was weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, we talked, you know, you just like being at the ballpark. I love so it. What love is it. it about the ballpark for you that's so special? Um, well, it, first and foremost, it's the game. You know, yeah. there's nothing like it. I, I, I love the tradition of it. Um, you know, you go back, you know, well over 100 years and, and just things, yes, have changed some, but essentially... It's the same game. And I just love that idea, that tradition that still exists. And I don't think there's really much like that that exists in the world. Right. You know, and, and, and that to me is the most important thing. I just love being around the game. It brings back such great memories of, of childhood, of playing the game. You know, I, I like the intricacy of the game. Sure. So I love to follow it. I love to, you know, try to figure out what they're thinking, what they're doing. Um, you know, I love the sort of cat and mouse aspect of it. Um, but just being at the ballpark is so cool. And I've, I've really enjoyed, and I haven't been to a minor league game in a long time. And yeah. It's been this ballpark years ago. I brought my nephew here. But I've kind of enjoyed being at this game a lot more than I thought I would. Just, first of all, I'm not that invested in who wins. That you know? helps. It, it kind of helps to just yeah. actually more enjoy the the facility and the crowd and 
and Princess Knight. And, 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 and that was my next question because, you know, Princess Knight, that's not an immediate connection between Disney, <laughs> Disney princesses, princesses or as we saw Fiona from Shrek. Yes. But well, she has every right to be here. She's every right to be here. We are ogre friendly zone. But, <laughs> but really, what do you think about that? As somebody who's followed the game for so long, there are and people. Him up. Oh, Jose got another at bat. He did. Um, you and I followed baseball long enough that before there were theme nights, before this was a thing, and there could be people of our generation who would think it's got no place in the game. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, though? I mean, well, I mean, I understand minor league ball, you know, and yeah. I, and I want to. I think it's important to support minor league ball, um, and the players need to get paid. Um, and I think the more people you get out to the minor league ballpark, the better, you yeah. know. And and then just the idea of introducing, you know, not just limiting it to little boys, you know. I think right. letting little girls get involved, you know, like oh yeah, it's so much fun to go to the ballpark and, and, and giving them some kind of an end to get out here and experience the fun of, of uh, being at a game, whether they're watching it or not, you yeah. know? You know, just being here. I and, think that is the thing, is, is that idea that we, we talk about the games losing its audience. Yeah, like, yeah, building, continue to build Why the audience. We, yeah. You know, but I mean, I think, you know, both of those things are, I think, an important aspect of it. I, I, I mean, there are a few things that I'm really... Like, oh, I just don't want that to change, you know. But I, I think in terms of building an audience, you know, especially at the minor league level, you know, yeah, do all these kind of promotions. Get people out there. Right. Um, I mean, even at the major league to some degree, you know. I don't, you know, a lot, some teams, I think, struggle getting people out there. And, and but, but yeah, I think we don't want to lose the young young folks watching the baseball on the, on the major league level too. So. Well, I do think, you know, the major league, the burden is your attendance is going to rise and fall based on how good your team is. Yeah, it's bottom line, yeah. But this is an entertainment business exactly. for these guys. Um, and there's, and we're here for another special night, which was Dollar dollar Dog Night. Dollar Dog Night. You yeah. literally can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Can't so, go you know, wrong. But got they shouldn't a, have charged you a dollar for that, for oh, that water. Oh, they charged me a dollar for the water. Dear Round Rock, you have done everything so great. <laughs> It wasn't the bottled water, by the way. <laughs> it was it was the bad, you know, the bad water that you have to move the, the different <laughs> lever on the soda machine. Exactly. That you get a little, like a little residue of whatever that was in the, there. In the Damon Wayne size cup from Amagechi Sucker. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like what? That, yeah. That, that was like a shot of water. A shot. And bad water. And, that, and not great. Yeah. Um, so, you know, going forward, this major league season, as we kind of wrap up, your Rangers are playing way better than anybody thought. Like, what are you excited about with this team? Well, they're a really scrappy team. And it was like I was saying a while ago, somebody got a hit. Um, it was like I was saying a while ago, you know, you can't count them out of a game. And, and you know, it's like a, if it happens a couple of times, you know, oh, yeah, you know, that's nice. But it's happened like seven or eight times that they've come back late in the game and right. won the game. So, um I, I like their scrappiness. Um, I like the new manager Woodward. I think he's, uh, I think he's brought a new energy into it. It relates to the players on the Rangers team. Um, I think that the, the general manager has brought in some pitching, um, has taken a chance on some pitchers yeah. that, have, that have actually played out really well, um, and that rarely happens, I think. 
So, you know, I don't have high expectations in terms of them, you know, necessarily winning the World Series, but I do think they have a shot for making the wild card. And, and at that point, you never know. Anything can happen. Yeah. You know, so as long as, and I mean, I'm going to, obviously I'm going to continue to watch and support them uh, no matter what, because I just, I, I, I mean, love, I love that they're you my still team. De- I love that you still, that you DVR the games. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now I'm going to go home and watch it after this one. I'm going to watch right. the game. Well, Ivan, thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. It's been a blast. It's been my pleasure. Thank All you right. very much. On deck, the Let's Get Two interview of the week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And as we start to look around the Houston Astros minor league system, we're excited to be joined by Laura Fragoso, the Senior Vice President of Marketing for the Round Rock Express. Laura, thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. Great. So real quick, tell us a little bit about your journey from getting into baseball in the first place to becoming part of the front office for the Round Rock Express. Well, uh, my story actually started with baseball um, when I was um, a young girl. Um, I was probably 11 or 12 uh, growing up in South Alabama, and uh, the Atlanta Braves were kind of our team in that area. And at that time, um, in the 90s, they were, you know, always in postseason play and stuff. So it was... I'm an Astros fan. I know all about those good Braves of the 90s. Uh, If we could, let's just move on past, uh, you know, this painful chapter of my life. Right, right. Um, so it was a good time to, to be a baseball fan um, in, in that area. And um, my dad and I, that was kind of our thing that we bonded over. We went to Braves games together. We watched them on TV. Um, I even had a, a local radio host in our hometown um, who we would go on their show a few times, too, that they, they would interview Braves players and stuff. So it was really cool. and something I was interested in at that age, how cool it would be to be on the business side of baseball. So it was always something I wanted to do. I ended up being a, a public relations major at the University of Alabama and um, was really lucky that the New Orleans Zephyrs were starting um, uh, at their new stadium in New Orleans in 1997 when I was a freshman in college and um, got an internship there. Um, really just my sister you know, knew some folks and was able to, to get me in. So. Um, from there, I just, you know, worked hard, did everything I could, to, uh, from, from PR to even a few unfortunate days in accounting because I didn't know what I was doing there. Uh, <laughs> um, PR, you know, writing press releases, uh, game notes, um, video board, you know, a little bit of everything. And a customer service, a big part of it. And uh, I actually went back every break uh, I had during summer, uh, summer break during college to um, – to, you know, work for the Zephyrs again. And uh, then I was fortunate, again, when I graduated uh, college that the Round Rock Express had started, and I got an internship um, in Round Rock. Uh, our GM in uh, New Orleans that I'd had my first year uh, was the GM here at the time, and um, I got an internship, and, and uh, it grew into a, eventually a full-time position, and it's morphed uh, quite a bit over the years, but uh, now I'm Senior Vice President of Marketing, and I run the marketing department for the Express. So explain to our listeners, what does the senior vice president of marketing do? Sure. A little bit of everything, um, which I think most everyone in minor league baseball will say about about any job they, they've done. Um, but really how we see, how we divide up our you know department uh, for what we consider marketing overall is everything you, you know, see here, feel about the Express. So, um, 
you know, in the marketing department, uh, we consider merchandise, you know, our merchandise department there, uh, our our team store, um, our ball, our ballpark entertainment, our community relations, um, grassroots, graphic design, uh, social media, of course, website, um, you know, all these different little pieces, you know, make up uh, everything visual and, and, and everything you hear and feel about the Express. Specifically, um, overseeing the department and all of our employees, um, we try to, you know, keep everything on brand and, and uh, our, our messages uh, clear everywhere. Um, but then I also um, handle our media buys, um, and uh, and work with um, different TV stations and stuff like that as far as, you know, what we're buying um, online, digital buys, everything like that. So now that you're back with the Astros, how do you coordinate with the big club on the branding and stuff versus how much of it is, you know, on your own? Well, you know, it, it you know we've been fortunate to be affiliated both with the Rangers and the Astros. Uh, since I've been here, this will be our second time with the Astros. Um, and it's always a little bit different depending on, you know, the staffing at each place, and we've been fortunate with both with both groups uh, to have great relationships. Um, what's unique about us um, being affiliated with the Astros this time around is uh, our founder, Reed Ryan, is the president of, of uh, business operations with the Houston Astros. Um, so, uh, you know, he has been instrumental in, in getting us um, involved in knowing um, our major league counterparts um, and the amazing things they are doing. Uh, and, and with the Astros, what's so cool is they're really trendsetters with data and um, how they're looking at their um, their fans and marketing to them and doing everything themselves. So um, we were actually able to go up there, uh, or over there, I should say, to Houston um, in November, I believe it was, and spend a day with them and, and with different folks, me specifically, even different folks in the marketing department, um, and and really kind of listen to them, learn from them, take a ton of notes, and ask questions. And it was really a great experience. And they've all been great about follow-up questions as well. Um, but so we're really looking at doing things differently this year, um, based on on you know those meetings alone. Um, doing a lot more things ourselves. Um, really using our data to help us reach more fans, like the fans we have. Um, so we're excited about that. I don't know who came up with the Round Rock 20th anniversary tequila sunrise, but I've never spent so much money from tweet to me actually putting something in my sharpening cart so fast. I think like like less than a minute. Good brandios on that. Um, uh, they're if you're not familiar with them, they're they're famous for um, awesome marketing, uh, you know, creative ideas that they come up with specifically for minor league baseball teams uh, out of San Diego. But um, we were originally going to go with our our red, our you know we have we went back to our original colors of a little bit navy and a, and a deep red, um, and uh, our general manager, who I believe have already spoken to as well, um, Tim Jackson, was like, "What if we go all in on the orange and blue here?" And I was like, "Let's do it." So, uh, Brandios, you know, did a great job with the with the design, and um, we love the logos they have with that as well. So, is that what the off season's for? Like working on the branding and the marketing? Is that what you're doing when the game when the season isn't going? You know, do you go into the off season with like an idea? How, how does all that work? Yeah, um, you know, uh, we really actually start in August um, for the next year. So our marketing team uh, will take a little time when the team's out of town uh, and take a day and, and have a retreat uh, where we have a little bit of fun and do some fun stuff and eat some good food. Uh, but we're really thinking creatively and we're coming up with new ideas that we've seen um, 
you know, uh, from other teams, other sports, or just something we thought of one day. So we try to do that when everything's fresh, you know, you know, season's wrapping up, but, you know, still have a few more weeks, um, and, uh, and start planning from there. Um, and then uh, we, we really just start kind of scheduling theme nights. Theme nights have really become, it's, it's a product of our marketing department as well, and really become um, a driver to get, um, you know, people out here for different reasons. Um, whether it be a, a princess night um, where we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of princesses here, um, little yeah. girls and boys here, you know, to, to meet their favorite uh, princess, um, or Harry Potter night. Um, uh, we we try to do something a little different every year and, and get different facets of people out that maybe haven't been to Del Diamond before, and then they're here and realizing what a fun, family-friendly experience it is, and, and they come back for a a regular Thursday night or something. With minor league baseball being known for the promotions and round rock being really, really good at it. What are some of the favorite ones that you've had in the past? Sure. Um, you know, minor league baseball promotions exactly are, you know, uh, always can push the envelope a little bit. Um, we try to always, we try to push that envelope, but then also still remember who we're representing. So we don't go too far with crazy. Um, and uh, try to remember that ultimately, you know, the uh, the Ryan family and, 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 and the Houston Astros, you know, that we're representing everyone in um, the city of Round Rock. So we have good, clean fun with it. Um, but, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot more major league teams do them as well. Um, major league teams are starting to have princess nights and, and other things like that. Um, but we've got of 70 home games. I want to say I think we're at uh, 37 theme nights, uh, and probably a few more will pop up before um, before the year gets here, um, the season gets here. But uh, you know, past favorite is probably in 2009 when we honored uh, the 1959 Austin Senators which was a Texas League team. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they um, had won the uh, uh, Texas League championship that year, but and then they went on to play in the in one of the few uh, Pan American uh, series with uh, teams in Mexico, and they won that as well. And when they came back, you know, they just packed their bags and went home. There was no parade. There was no fanfare, no, you know, no fans, <laughs> right. really. And... Um, so we had the best time, uh, personally, I loved this, tracking down members of that team. And we got about, gosh, I want to say 10 to 12 guys, and um, which was pretty impressive. You know, they um, uh, were certainly, you know, they were grandfathers and stuff at this time. Um, we flew them all in and uh, recognized them. Uh, we had a whole weekend built around them. Um, and the team wore the throwback uh, Austin Senators jerseys. It was really cool. But the best part, hands down, was it was in, you know, I think I want to say the seventh inning um, of the game that night. Uh, it was a packed house, and we explained how they never got a trophy or championship rings or anything like that, and we gave them 1959 championship rings. I mean, the, everyone in the stadium was, was on their feet. I have chill bumps right now talking about it. It was the greatest feeling. Uh, you know, their children were here who had, you know, knew their dad had played uh, baseball but didn't really get it, you know, maybe fully, completely, and grandchildren too. And so for them to be so proud of, of these men, and uh, it just, it was awesome. So that was my favorite 
of all time. So how reactive can you be? Like there's a new pop culture phenomenon like Stranger Things or something like that. Teams are having these nights like relatively quickly. You know, how does that work? Are you able to kind of save space for things that maybe get popular that you can then capitalize on? We try, uh, well, in two, I'll, I'll explain that in two different ways. I try to be, uh, try to every day for us to be uh, more proactive because we are, it's just by nature, baseball so reactive, especially the marketing part. Um, so stress-wise, I like the idea of being more proactive, and we always strive to do that and uh, and plan better and have all the details laid out, but it never completely works out that way. Um but it also leaves space. So we do want our, you know, like if you look at our schedule now, there are a few, you know, spaces where something, if it works out, you know, if something like that comes up that we can plug in. And so, yeah, we, we, um, you know, if it's something that hit, uh, you know, in August and we only had two games left, that might be a little hard, that kind of thing. But, yeah, if we have, uh, you see a phenomenon, we can act on it. I will try to you right away. We've got a great creative um uh, video folks here. So we try to do, you know, viral videos and fun booths and things like that when we can as well. So I'll be back at the Dell in a couple of weeks. Now pretend it's my first time. What do you want my fan experience to be like? Um, I want you to be greeted uh, from the moment you come in the parking lot with friendly folks. Um, uh, if you're picking up tickets here or buying your tickets here, you know, to have a great, a great transaction. Uh, being greeted again by the time you get in the gate, that should be, you know, the third or fourth person saying hi to you. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully not stand in line too long and, and uh, have some good food. We've got a really um, exceptional food and beverage partner um, and, uh, you know, try some, some unique ballpark fare, like our grilled cheese hot dog or something like that. And, um, and uh, you know, just sit back and enjoy the game. Uh, I hope that, that people do have that. I mean, now that I have um, kids, I have a, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and I'm always looking for different things to do with them on the weekends or, or you know, in evenings. Um, when I have a good experience like that, when I realize, like, hey, this outing was pretty cool. We had quality time together. We weren't ever bored. You know, there was stuff to do. We were full. Uh, we played. They played. They, you know, they have smiles on their faces. They're exhausted. Um, and I think we offer all of that. So um, I love to be able to provide that um, for families, but then also, you know, young singles with their friends or, you know, whatever we have, we have something for everyone. So, uh, how we, how I look at it, you know, we may have stressful days and, um, hard things, but ultimately we get to make someone for a few hours, have them enjoy life, have them enjoy something and have a good time and put a smile on their face or feel good. So that's pretty cool. And I try not to ever forget that. And as we continue to move through the Astros minor league system, we're very excited to talk to the general manager of the Quad Cities River Bandits, their Class A affiliate, Jacqueline Holm. Um, so Jacqueline, I'm real excited to welcome you to Let's Get To. Thanks, James. I appreciate you having me. And so I just want to jump in. Like, how did you, because you're a, you're a, we, you're a fellow former Houstonian. How did yes, you? Yes, I am from Sugarland, Texas. And so, how did you end up becoming the general manager of the Quad Cities River Bandits? Yes, it's it's an exciting story. I'll tell you. I started off working in soccer. Actually, I did my first internship with the Houston Dynamo in 2009, 
And at that point, I was just absolutely hooked on the sports industry and wanted to make a career out of it. Before that internship, I didn't really know it was possible. I didn't realize that was an avenue for a career opportunity. So after that internship, I finished my degree at Texas State University, and then I decided I was going to come home and work for the Sugarland Skeeters as an intern. So got the opportunity in December of 2015 to work for the team, excuse me, um, 2011, to work for the team in their inaugural season in 2012. So started with them and stayed there for four seasons and finished my term there as the on-field MC and the team's director of corporate partnerships. And then my GM resigned from that club and ran into Dave Heller at the winter meetings. And because of that meet meeting, they were able to connect with me and Dave offered me a position with the team here in Iowa. And I said, I would never move to Iowa. (laughs) It was not for me as I was a Texas girl by trade. So I wanted to stay where it was warm. But, you know, after the sales pitch he gave me about working for the River Bandits, I knew I had to be a part of it. So 11 days later, I was in Iowa. What do you see the biggest difference between independent ball and affiliated minor league baseball? Switching over to affiliated, you realize how much is orchestrated by Major League Baseball, and you have that big brother feeling where, you know, people are watching me, My there's rules, regulations, things are mandated, you know, there's certain facility standards that you have to maintain, and all of that is regulated by Major and Minor League Baseball, and, you know, in non-affiliated baseball, you kind of can do, you have a lot less red tape and can kind of do some more, I guess, envelope-pushing things, if you will, and then, of course, at that level, you're negotiating all your own contracts with your players, so everybody's a free agent. You can grab people from, like, Roger Clemens, for example, and, you know, have have that kind of PR excitement and whereas everybody here has to go through the farm system and you know go through all of that process and contracting and we don't have anything to do with that so there's a lot of dynamic differences between the two but I'm glad I've got to see everything and starting an independent baseball and now realizing what a redheaded stepchild it is to the minor league and major league system you know and and feeling that affinity that I felt for it while I was there and now kind of being on the other side of it it's you know everybody's just working towards the same goal to improve their communities and we can all go to sleep at night knowing that that's what we're trying to do so no ill feelings towards independent league baseball I know that although I know that's how some of our counterparts feel towards it so yeah it's interesting we've run across that same kind of thing through the history of the show is that there seems to be some affiliated teams feel like they're superior, and, and I really feel like they're trying to kind of do some of the same mission as far as entertaining the people of whatever whatever community they're living in. Exactly, and at the end of the day, that's everyone's goal is just to better their community and the people around them through the sport of baseball. And so this is your first year as the GM of the— Correct. And so how was it when you got the news that you got the job? I mean, what was that moment like? Because i got to imagine that's a big deal. Well, yeah, we were very excited about the opportunity and myself, I just never thought it would happen this quickly. And some say it's all about timing, you know, as the saying goes, but I I have put a lot of work in and I was thankful to get the opportunity. I was not expecting my predecessor to resign so quickly. He had mentioned in the fall that he was considering taking a sabbatical and that it might happen sooner than I anticipated and would I be ready if the opportunity presented itself and I said yeah I mean I've learned a lot and there are going to be challenges of course but nothing I can't get through because I'm willing to work hard to try and understand the position and the job and do the best that I can so when the resignation came through I think it was about three or four days um, before they asked me to step into the position and I was just thrilled to get the opportunity I mean it's a dream come true to one be working you know as a general manager 
at the age of 30 was something that I never thought I would be able to achieve so quickly. And then also to be working for the Houston Astros indirectly. So it was just really a blessing. And, you know, in you, so I I know that the general manager of a minor league team doesn't necessarily have, you know, any really input on what's on the field. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the River Bandits this year because it's this really tale of two experiences. Because right now, uh, on the field, they are they are thirty two and fifteen at the time we record this. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the flood and what that has meant for the team and your organization because that can't be something that you all have dealt that could have been easy to be dealt with. Sure, and as you mentioned, the team is a separate entity. Obviously, the Astros are contracting their players, scouting them out creating all those deals and then sending them to the appropriate affiliates. So they take care of all of that. So all of their travel itineraries and everything. So during this time with all the flooding going on and all the, you know, financial and infrastructure implications that it was having on our facility, the team is on the road, you know, so all the logistical things that go into planning a season, whether it's from, making hotel arrangements for visiting clubs to food deliveries. You know, everything had to be turned on its on its head. So just trying to deal with that logistical nightmare, all while the team is having to perform at an elite level, you know, I was worried that, of course, at this point, being the team's general manager, you do have to take responsibility for everything. And even though you don't have a lot to do with the product that's on the field, you know, you do feel responsible for giving them the best facility and experience possible. And not being able to do that was obviously worrisome, but didn't matter to the guys, evidently, which I'm thankful for. You know, they've been playing excellent at home now and on the road. So it really doesn't seem to have phased them. You know, we had that super long road trip and everybody was playing so well that now the team has almost turned over. I think we had eight transactions while the guys were on the road for 12 days. So it's just a testament to how hard they're continuing to work despite all the adversity that's happened this year. And I, th- I definitely think that you and your team deserve a really big credit for that because I'm uh, much older than you. And even I remember when the Astros went on the the big long road trip when George Bush was nominated for president and that team was pretty good and you can still see results in the loss column just being on the roads. So the fact that y'all have been able mm-hmm. to keep them playing well is really a big testament to your, to your leadership. Well, and our manager as well, you know, it's probably hard to keep the guys all in unison. And like at our level, you know, we do have a lot of transactions more so than you do at the double and triple A level. And that's really a testament to how he can keep the team so cohesive and flowing well. You know, that's a lot of energy on his on his side, too. So I'm just really proud of what they've been able to do over the last 50 days. Right. Well, and like like you said earlier, um, you have a connection to your hometown because they are the Class A affiliate for the Houston Astros. Now, in Davenport, Iowa, with the fact that the Astros now have gone from one of the worst organizations in baseball to, I mean, about to win another World Series, if I'm being honest, um, and not a homer at all. Uh, but like, so now <laughs> in Davenport, are there Astros fans? Is, how is that team's success carried over to the community? Yeah, you and I probably remember rooting for the Lastros in 2000. And the Disastros. Yes, yes, exactly. So many great, horrible nicknames. So, yeah, when they were losing 100 games or more, so when that, you know, change happened with Lou now coming in as the team's general manager, there were a lot of dynamic changes that they were making, and they were really going to put an emphasis on data-driven, you know, track man data and all that stuff. So you could kind of see that it was going to be changing 
you know, quickly. Um, and I would say winning a World Series championship in just seven years was a very quick turnaround. So as far as Astros fans in the area, I'd like to say there are more than when I got here. And, you know, every once in a while I'll spot an Astros hat or a beanie in the crowd. And, you know, it fills me with excitement because I'm like, oh, my gosh, we have like real true Astros fans in the area. But truthfully, it continues to be Cubs country. You know, we're in the Midwest. One thing I will say about the residents in the area is they love the game of baseball. So whether there's a Houston Astros product on the field or a product on the field, they are just traditional baseball fans and they love to see the game being played. And it's, you know, I've actually heard that already. So, you know, I, I was kind of sort of following the, the uh, River Bandits from afar about a year and a half ago. But we've had two interviews on this show, including J.D. Davis with the Corpus Christi Hooks with connections previously to the River Bandits have all said the exact mm-hmm. same thing. So what is it about that community and, and how do you keep them engaged um, t- to keep them coming to the park now that they can get in? Yeah, well, we've the great thing about what's going on at Modern Women Park is it is the longest continuously operating ballpark in North America which is a a factoid that I think goes unnoticed by a lot of quad citizens just because they grew up here and they're used to coming here. And it does make me happy when I hear, when I call people or make cold calls or what have you, that they say, oh my gosh, yeah, I went there as a kid and now I'm bringing my kids there. And there is a real institutionalized feeling here that people just love the park because of what it does for their community. And I think that's what keeps people coming back. You know, we have, as the River Bandits, it's our responsibility to make sure and keep things exciting and keep innovating for our fans, offer, you know, keep our prices family affordable and keep our staff friendly and our promotions fun. And that's our responsibility. And I feel like our community has answered all of our hard work by showing up to our games. Well, I'm going to be at a game next season. I've already got it on our calendar of, of for one of the trips we're taking. Have someone who has never been to a Quad Cities game, what do you kind of hope I experience and how do you hope I feel walking out of the stadium? Yeah, well, I hope you are you enjoy the history here, of course. So there's a lot of exhibits here at the stadium that kind of showcase the history of the facility, which is something that's exciting because, as I mentioned, we're going to celebrate a centennial here not too long from now, which is very exciting. And then also we want you to experience the friendly staff that we have. You know, we we tote the motto, we are the friendliest ballpark in America, and that's the type of experience that we want you to have here, whether it's the parking attendant that you see out front or the person you experience at the box office or at the concession stand. We just hope that every single person leaves here with a smile on their face, and we say, if you leave without knowing the score, then we did our job appropriately. So you have been entertained to the fullest. I love that. Um, Well, Jacqueline, that seems like a great place to leave it. Thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. Yeah, thanks for having me. And our final stop is to the New York Penn League. We're thrilled to talk to Matt Callahan. He is the general manager of the Class A short season Tri-City Valley Cats, the 2018 New York Penn League champs. Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. And congratulations on the championship. I mean, just by a cursory glance at the website, the Tri-City Valley Cats are pretty regulars when it comes to winning that league. What, like seven times in 14 years or something? Yeah, we've we've uh, we've had a great run. Um, we're fortunate to be a uh, an affiliate of the the Houston Astros, and you know their their draft and uh, development program over the past number of years has been been highly successful. So we've uh, we've won our division seven times, as you mentioned, and then we've won the 
uh, overall New York Penn League championship three times, and including last year in 2018. Math's not my strong suit, man. That's why I went to film school. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> so, yeah, I was hoping you started talking a little bit about how you got into minor league baseball and then ended up being the general manager of the Valley Cats. Sure. Yeah, I, I took a, I guess, somewhat non-traditional path uh, for our industry. Um, a lot of folks uh, start out as, as interns and, um, you know, get their foot in the door and then, then kind of um, are able to advance from there. And for me, I, I went to, uh, to college in, in Boston, went to Boston College. Um, uh, I grew up in Boston and had lived there my whole life. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, was a communications major because I thought that that was something that I could apply fairly broadly. Um, so I came out of school and ended up, uh, in, in a sales role for a technology company. And, you know, I learned a lot and certainly, um, worked with some great people, but just, I, I really wasn't passionate about what I was doing and, um, have always gravitated to sports, baseball and hockey in particular. And, um, it really just kind of bumped into a friend at the right time who happened to be home for, for Thanksgiving. I think, uh, I think we were out enjoying a couple beers and, um, hadn't seen him in a while. And, and he told me he was working for the Durham bulls. And I, I kept telling him how jealous I was. And you know, he kept telling me, well, then do something about it. And so, um, they continued talking to him and I think bumped into him again that same weekend. And, uh, about a week later I was, was on a plane to, to Nashville with, a a uh, bunch of, of of resumes in in my uh, suitcase, and went to a huge went to the job fair that they have every year at the um, baseball winter meetings, and uh, was applying for everything from you know grounds crew jobs to internships to account executive positions, and I was fortunate to have a a, a couple opportunities, including here at uh, at Tri City and thought that it was a good place to start. I figured I would, would be here for two years and, and then kind of move on. And, um, initially was, was going to try to cross over into player development, but the more I got involved in the, the business side of, of minor league baseball, I really, you know, fell in love with it and enjoyed having, uh, the ability to, to, to impact the community and have your hands in all different aspects of the operation. So I was, uh, was very lucky to, to land here and be able to advance, um, became the business development manager overseeing some of our sales efforts. And then a couple of years later, the assistant GM and a couple of years after that was, uh, was promoted to to general manager. And here, here I am 12 years later, still, uh, still here. (laughs) That sounds like my army career. I enlisted for a three year stint, got out seven years later. So uh, understand that a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely something that's been pretty cool as we've been interviewing folks is that it does seem like people come from a lot of different spaces and then they end up at the the winter meeting, so that must be really an impactful way to really get your foot in the door. Yeah, the, that experience was was crazy. Um, you know, I was I was kind of a, a starstruck kid for for half of it. I'm walking around and you know bumping into to general managers that you see being interviewed on TV, and you know, you're walking by Peter Gammons in the hallway and all the the baseball tonight ESPN personalities and talking to, I remember talking to Steve Phillips and, you know, talking to him about the, uh, somebody was, was getting in his ear about the, uh, Scott Casimir, Victor Zambrano trade and you know, he's firing back. <laughs> I didn't make that trade. Jim Duquette made that trade. And, you know, so you get all those funny interactions, um, and things that you'll remember forever. The, 
the one that stands out to me and I'll never forget it. I was, was staying, um, off property at the, basically across the street from the, uh, the Opryland, which is where the, um, which is where the, the convention was. And I happened to just kind of walk across and was, was grabbing a, a bite to eat somewhere. And I'm sitting at the bar by myself. And next thing you know, in walks, uh, Tommy Lasorda with his, with his entourage and, 10 minutes later, the, the woman who was on stage is calling, <laughs> calling him up to sing with him. So I, I got to see uh, Tommy Lasorda sing some, some karaoke in Nashville. That's, uh, that's actually a really great story. That's something you'll be able to keep with you forever. So you, the, the Valley Cats, y'all are the short season affiliate for the Strohs. And um, first of all, this is super cool for me. I am a, I grew up in the Astrodome practically. So, you know, it's funny, I have a grandson who was, I think four months old when they won the World Series and I kind of held him up and, and, and just looked at him lovingly and called him super entitled because he will never know the pain that I went through before <laughs> I got the World Series. But just talk a little bit about the challenges because a short season affiliate, you guys have a whole different deal than the full season affiliates. How is running a short season team different and more challenging? Yeah, it's it's um, it's certainly different. I mean, you know, at the long season level, obviously uh, you're – you know, you have, um, I, I would say oftentimes you have more resources because your staffs are a little bit bigger. Um, you know, the challenges you run into there is it's such a such a long season and some of the homestands are, are significantly longer. You may have 10, 12-game homestands, but then you have, you know, the same stretches on the road. Um, I think for us it's a, it's a bit more of a sprint. You know, once, once the season starts, uh, the pedal's down and, you know, you're really – you really don't let up until uh, until that season wraps up, and you know all of a sudden you're kind of stepping back and, and saying, "Wow, I I can't believe it's over already." Um, so for us, you know, I think um, trying to fit everything that we we want to do and we need to do into into that short window, and then you know, of course, uh, trying to dodge raindrops depending on the the day and, and what the weather throws at you, I think is is probably our biggest challenge, but I also think that the weather is our biggest advantage too. I mean, especially being in the Northeast where we are, you know, sometimes when, when the long season clubs around here are, um, are, are starting to get going, you know, there's still snow on the ground um, in, in April and, you know, trying to get people out to the park when it's, when it's cold and rainy on an April night is, is certainly a, a, a difficulty in its own, in its own sense. Um, so, you know, for us, the weather is certainly warmer. School is kind of wrapping up shortly after we start. So I think those those things work in our favor. And, um, you know, you take the, 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 I guess, the compact schedule as the challenge and you just try to find the right mix and the right balance. And, and one of the things, too, roster. So, you know, as we've covered on the show before, the, the big challenge of minor league teams and why you have to make the experience the experience because you can't control who you have. Um, with the short season, like basically how much time do you get to even know who's on your team before the first pitch? Well, that's, yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's a great point. And that's, that's definitely a challenge too. I mean, so the major league baseball draft takes place in, in early June. I think it, I think it starts on the third this year, uh, wraps up around the sixth and then, um, you know, guys will be basically reporting here for their first workout on the ninth or tenth, and then we we open up we open up on the fourteenth. So, you know, you, you go from playing college college baseball, um, 
and not knowing where you're going when your college season wraps up or, or when you get drafted to, to jumping on a plane and heading to Troy, New York within the matter of a couple of days and a couple of days to get acclimated. And then you're, you know, you're thrown right into the fire and, and out under the lights. So that, that happens quick. And that's a, you know, that's a constant question that we get year, you know, really the whole off season. How's the team look? How's the team look? And every year, I have no idea. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. We we don't know who we're going to have. You know, we'll get a few guys or we'll get some guys from within the Astros system, but even, you know, even that doesn't get finalized until until really right before they ship up here. Yeah, I've got to imagine that's got to be a big culture shock for a kid, particularly if they were drafted out of high school to go from living at home to 2 weeks later they're on their own trying to be a professional ball player. It's got to be tough. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's an adjustment, I think, and you know, every, I think every level um, of player, or every every different category of player has their own adjustment to to make. I mean, at our level, you have quite a few uh, Latin American players, and you know, certainly there's a a cultural adjustment for them. You, know, you mentioned the high school kids, and you know, even the college kids. Some of them are coming from from larger programs that. Um, have you know honestly probably a little bit more um support on a day-to-day basis or a little more structure and and now you know here they are learning how to be professionals and uh as opposed to playing a couple games a week they're playing every day and and having to to figure out how to take care of themselves and and adapt to that schedule so it's it's always interesting to to see those transitions and um you know see the guys that that uh can, can make that, you know, flip that switch and, and, and continue to grow. And the guys that unfortunately can't is always, uh, is always a, a difficult thing to watch. Yeah, I imagine. Um, so being the short season affiliate of the Astros, the, you know, 2017 world champions, I have predicted to be the 2019 world champions as well. But y'all are about 1,700 miles away from Minute Maid Park. The people of Troy, New York, have they adopted the Astros or have, do they keep a separate, you know, do they find their loyalty and then keep it separate for what the Valley Cats are, or, or like, do they care that they won or have a shot to win it again? Yeah, it's you know it's a it's a funny mix around here. Um, obviously, with with New York, you have both Mets and Yankee fans. Uh, this this area is predominantly predominantly Yankee fans, I would say. Um, the Albany Colony Yankees, Double um, A affiliate. For for the for the Yankees played here years ago when Jeter and Rivera and Bernie Williams were going through, so you have a lot of roots there. Um, there are definitely a lot of Mets fans, and and there are also a lot of Red Sox fans because we're, you know, we're only about two and a half hours from Boston and really only about thirty minutes to the to the Massachusetts border. So it's um it's a funny mix of those three. And depending on on when those affiliates come into town, you definitely see kind of a, a split rooting interest. You see a lot of you know you see a lot of Yankee hats when we're playing Staten Island or Mets Mets caps when we're playing the Cyclones. Um, but I think people have certainly adopted the Valley Cats as as their hometown team, and they get excited to to see us have success. But but in 2017, when the Astros went on that run, it was it was pretty special to see. Um, how many people were excited about it and, and how many people were, were getting behind them and just kind of recognizing that, you know, Altuve and Springer and Dallas Keuchel had all come through here. And, um, you know, even the Joe Musgroves who, who played, 
played significant roles in the playoff runs, um, you know, had had gotten their starts or had 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 a step along the way, come through Troy and, and as part of the Valley Cats team. So that was it was pretty neat. We weren't quite sure what to expect, but people were uh, people were pretty fired up. And then we we actually had the uh, World Series trophy make a stop back here uh, last year on its way to Cooperstown. The Astros were were kind enough to to make a stop and. Um, the game, of course, got rained out. Which, uh, you know, <laughs> which go, go figure. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. we ended up we ended up holding an event anyways, and we, you know, we had about 500 people come out to see the trophy, and um, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see the support and the excitement, even if um, the uh, the Astros um, fan base was was not the primary focus. But uh, it was it was fun to see the people come come through and still be excited about that connection. Yeah, I feel like that is sort of the difference with baseball and other sports. You know, um, I'm going to be going up to watch the Astros play the Cardinals, and I'm absolutely going to go to their Hall of Fame and look at all of that cool stuff. But I can't imagine caring, um, you know, what the Washington Redskins have on display. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's, I think baseball. I think we all just acknowledge how much harder it is to to win at that because you've got these other forces that I think people just appreciate seeing that, regardless whether or not the rooting interest of yours is matched. But speaking yeah. of, you know, speaking of, you you really are, you have a front porch to the future of this, this, this franchise. So I know that you were, you got hired by the Valley Cats in 08 and I don't know how much, like how, how much are you able to watch the team? Like were, were you able to watch Altuve and Springer and those guys and say, oh yeah, they're going to be stars or are you so consumed with the other parts of your job that you don't really get to? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, it depends. Um, you know, definitely ebbs and flows. I, I, I certainly certainly don't get to, to watch uh, a whole lot of a lot of baseball, um, or as much as you might think in my role, because you know the operational side of things is uh, is first and foremost, and um, you know making sure that the the fan experience and everything is is going the way it should. Um, but but I do you know interact with with the the team and and with the coaching staff quite a bit, so I I do see a lot. Um, Back in '09, when Altuve was here, um, if you told me that he was going to make the big leagues, I probably wouldn't have believed you. You know, I, I'd love to be able to sit, sit here and say, you know, I knew I knew that that five foot six or you know five foot seven guy was was going to uh, was going to make the jump, um, but I, I don't think there's a lot of people that knew that at the time. Um, you know, the thing that I remember about him and is true today is, is, is the motor, you know, he was such a high energy guy and you could tell he, he loved to play the game. He played it hard. He played it the right way. And, um, you know, to his credit, he just, he just kept improving at every level and was able to hit and develop and, and get there. Um, on the flip side, George Springer was a couple of years later and, you know, he, he was a guy that was a first round pick. So we, we knew his track record coming in. He was only here for a short stint, but, um, you know, he was a guy, I remember watching him take batting practice and, you know, I've, I've said this to folks before, but the, the ball just sounded different coming off his bat. When he squared one up, it was just a, you know, it was just a different sound. You knew that, you knew that the talent was there. You knew he was going to make it. And I think the question was, was just high, how high is the ceiling? You know, what's, what level is he going to get to? And, Obviously, in the early going this year, I think um, I think we're seeing that what that ceiling is, and it continues to to, to get a little bit higher as he uh, as he's really breaking out into to superstardom. It seems like to start this this season. 
Yeah, a really good dude for that to happen to. Um, but I do think that's probably, I think, the coolest part about, you know, the sort of minor league baseball experience is getting to, now you get to flash back a few years ago, but I remember when I saw that guy, like we saw Jordan, Al- Jordan Alvarez play last night for the Express. and But, you know, to that to the challenge of the roster and the changing, you can't really use that to sell the community. So how do you, you know, get the community of Troy out to the Joe, as your stadium is called, to check out the Valley Cats? What are some of the cool promotions you guys do? What, what, what can we look forward to this season? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for, for us, and you mentioned it earlier, it's it's all about the experience and, and anything you can do to, you know, to enhance the experience, then then we'll, we'll look at it, we'll talk about it. And um, for us, our, our mission really is, is to provide affordable family entertainment and, you know, make sure we do it in a, a safe and, and clean environment. And, you know, that's what we use as our, our guiding principle and we're, we're making decisions about promotions and things like that. But um, I think for us, there's, there's always the staples people, people around here love fireworks. So we always do that. And that, that brings out a good crowd. Uh, we do some, some giveaways, some bobblehead giveaways every year. So, uh, JD Martinez was on that same team with, with Jose Altuve in 2009. And we're, we're going to be doing a JD Martinez bobblehead this year. Um, and we're also doing we're we're, I believe the closest and we're, Hudson Valley, the Hudson Valley Renegades may be in almost equidistant position or, or similar distance, but we're one of the closest teams to uh, to the original site of Woodstock, and it's the fifth, it's the 50th anniversary of Woodstock this year. Uh, so we have a game that's going to commemorate that, where we'll be uh, we'll be wearing tie dye kind of summer love style jerseys. Um, we'll be doing a Jimi Hendrix bobblehead giveaway. We'll have a band playing before the game. So, <laughs> you know, trying, I trying to build out it. I got to get up there for that. I, I know. I know. I'm coming up next year for a game for the show. Maybe I can try to squeeze squeeze a trip in this year for that. That sounds great. Yeah, August 14th. Come on, come on up. It's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one. We're excited for that. Um, so anything, anytime you can build out a theme like that around something that's that's relevant, uh, either locally or regionally, or, or just a fun promotion. You know, like the the Star Wars nights are, are staples where you can get some Star Wars characters out to, you know, to mingle with the crowd and take photos with kids and, um, any, any type of, of unique entertainment experience that, you know, fits in with that family friendly, affordable mission is, is something that we'll really look at. And how just, you know, as we kind of wrap up, how, how important is it just your community involvement with, uh, the region, the Hudson Valley region and, you know, the people of Troy? It's huge. It's huge for us. We um, we strive to to really be on the forefront within our league and and within minor league baseball and giving back to the community. And um, I, I think that helps us to build relationships, you know, both in the ballpark and and also you know across the region, the capital region here. And our biggest uh, initiative every year and. Um, something we've been doing. We just just wrapped up our, our ninth year of doing this project. But is our um, our community grounds crew, in particular, our four and twenty four program. Uh, so we actually go out and we renovate four little league or softball fields in in twenty four hours. Um, and, and the goal with that is, you know, to be ambassadors for for the game of baseball at the youngest level and. Uh, to make sure that that the kids and 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 the families and the communities have have safe and and well maintained fields uh, 
to start their baseball or softball experience and, and hope that they continue to, uh, you know, to fall in love with the game like so many of us have. I think that's the really, I think that's actually a, be- a beautiful thing. And I, I think one of the biggest impacts, I think, minor league and, and indie league teams have the ability to do, it's one thing to live in a city with th- with of the 30 major league teams and go, but when you go out to your game, you're going to be able to, Talk to players easier. You're, you're going to be you're going to be able to make a more personal impact. That's going to keep this game growing beyond somebody in a stadium of forty thousand people watching a game. In my opinion. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's a more grassroots level um, for for us, and and I think you hit the nail on the head with the accessibility of of the experience and and also of the players and. You know, it's that, that's the most gratifying thing I think for me and for our staff is when you see uh, a kid, you know, young kids kind of face and, and expression light up when um, they either catch a foul ball or they, you know, they get a high five from a player down along the, the fence line or, or get somebody's autograph and you know that's uh, that's pretty special. I remember back to, to when I was a young kid and was fortunate to have an experience like that at Fenway Park and it, you know it just transforms the the connection to the game for you. Uh they they play baseball in Fenway Park. I didn't know that. <laughs> Every once in a while, right? I've been to some good concerts there too. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, as actually as we record this, the uh the it, it's so funny, man. Like like obviously Boston's a, I'm assuming Boston's a baseball town before it's anything. Um Texas is very much a football state before anything. And so all these people started watching baseball after 2017 and they react with every loss. Like it's your college football team just lost. Right. Right. You have to remind that that like the Red Sox won what 108 games last year, which means they lost like 55 times. Yeah. You're going to lose a few of these things, but uh, Matt, thanks so much for being on, on, on let's get Two, and we look forward to following the Valley cats all season. Sounds good. Thank you uh, very much for having me. I appreciate it. And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that wraps us up. And there were a lot of things we could be talking about today. We could be talking about the horrific collision at the plate in the in the Astros game versus the Angels yesterday with Marisnik and LaCroix. But, um, you know, it happened... To me, it looked like uh, I, you know, I don't know how you interpret that rule, but to me, it looked like just a horrific accident that happened. I don't think either player intended to end up in the other one's path. But instead, I want to talk about the dead time of baseball, and that is the All Star break. The All Star break is fine. The home run derby, it's fine. But. If you're like me, you're looking at three or four days with no Major League Baseball from the team that you follow being played. And, and it and it leads to some some really like down and depressing moments. And so I thought me being, you know, your resource for good baseball info that I would help you out and offer some advice on some things you can do when you're not able to watch any of the 30 Major League Baseball teams. So number 10, you can work on that Game of Thrones fan fiction that I know that you've been uh, cooking up. You know, I've got a whole thing where where Ghost and one of the dragons goes on like an adventure. Honestly, that sounds awesome. Don't anybody steal that. If I'm popping up 
two years from now watching, you know, last week tonight or something, and I see an advertisement for a Game of Thrones spinoff featuring Ghost and, and one of the dragons, I'm going to know it was you, and I'm going to find you. That's number 10. Write your Game of Thrones fan fiction. Or maybe it's Twilight fan fiction or, or something. Get some writing done. Call your mother. You've got plenty of time to get caught up now. Four days without baseball. Number eight, learn to whittle. Just don't run with your knife. Number seven, uh, I was going to put Facebook stalk your ex-girlfriends, but you know, I, we all do that anyway, so uh, go ahead and move on to that one. I was going to sit down with my German Shepherd Vader and my German Shepherd Colt and see if the, the, combined, the combined intelligences that the three of us have could calculate how war is figured out, the war statistic, but uh, that might even be above their pay grade. Um, number five, the number five way to deal with the absence of Major League Baseball during the All-Star break, you could cuddle under the shower rocking back and forth like in a super dramatic movie. Number four, you could consider starting Downton Abbey. I tried watching like 10 minutes of it and just started Parks and Rec again. Number three, have you been listening? There's minor league baseball happening and many independent leagues that are happening. I will be at the Chicago Dogs on Wednesday flying from Austin to Chicago for a doubleheader. Number two, you could rewatch game five of the 2017 World Series. And number one, I mean, catch up on episodes of Let's Get Two. Duh. But all jokes aside, you know, the All-Star breaks upon us. And I just want to thank everybody that's hung with us for the first half of the season. You know, our views continue to, I guess, listens. Our listens continue to grow steadily and our social media interactions continue to grow. And uh, we at we at Let's Get Two, and, and, and I'm speaking for Tim and Scott, but also some of our more regular guests like Andy and Jessica and Nathan, we are all just tickled the fact that you guys would tune in to listen to us talk about baseball. So, yeah, that wraps us up for the week. Tune in next week. We have some more great interviews and some great uh, take on the first weekend back after the All-Star break. And I'll be visiting the home of the Chicago Dogs. And so remember, enjoy the break, pay attention to the 10 things, and let's get to it.